Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast. Hey, we want to thank our sponsors here at the RFP Free Life. So you can click on the link on our website, recoveringfundamentalist.org. Use the promo code RFP and get 10% off of your order. It's Free Life Soap. We also want to thank all of those that have gone on to Patreon. What are they called, Nate? Patrons. Patrons. We want to thank our patrons from Patreon for helping us out here at the RFP. You can be one today. It's so cool seeing how everybody is uh, excited about being a part of this. We're receiving a lot of messages from you guys. And I'll just be honest, right up front, we were a little nervous about asking for money. We didn't want to make it look like that's what we're all about. But you guys are more excited about this than we are. And we've had a lot of people contact us that say, hey, we're going to. We're talking about our budgets right now. We're just discussing how much. So this is awesome. And this money is going to make these meetups happen. It's going to happen. We've got four tiers that you can give to. We've got the love offering for $3 a month. Uh, Numerology tier, which is the perfection, and that's $7 a month. There's the authorized tier at $16.11. And then the say amen right there tier at $50. And there's a hidden tier that people don't know about, right? Because we have one guy so far that we're calling the overachiever tier because (laughs) apparently you can make your own dollar amount and we have one person I think that's given seventy five a month. So that's dude, the sacrificial tier. That's what we'll call it. That's yeah. the over and above. <laughs> and hey, we appreciate that, and we can guarantee you every bit of that money is going into the ministry. And man, good things are happening, and we've got plans coming in the future. Yeah, face real excited. To face. So thanks for being part of Patreon. We also want to thank Free Life Soap for sponsoring us here at the Recovering Fundamentalist Podcast. Y'all ready to get the show started? Yes, I'm sir. ready. Let's go. The Recovering Fundamentalist Podcast starts in three. You know what makes women stupid is college. Jesus was not a bartender. Hi, man. Two. You have lost your mind. Long tongue heifers have given me a lot more trouble than heifers wearing breeches. And you know that. Say amen right there. One. Let me tell you something, bozo. They'll be selling frosties in hell for this boy. Put on a pair of pink underwear. Amen. I sucked my thumb till I was 14 years of age. Hi, man. Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in to the Recovering Fundamentalist Podcast. We're your hosts, JC, Nathan, and Brian, coming to you live from the J Radio studio. You can check out J Radio today by going to jradio.com. You can download the Apple app and the Android app in the App Store and Google Play Music, and uh, they have all kinds of music. They got blues, they got tropical, they got Brian's favorite, Old Country. Let's go to Luckenbach, Texas. With Waylon and Willie and the boys. Gotta I love, love that country. song, man. Yeah. I've never heard that. Really? No. Are you serious? Was that really old country or was that new country that you just wanted yes, to bring it's, back? It's Luckenbach, Texas. You wow. gotta go to YouTube and search that. That's pure country right there. Absolutely man. solid Good. gold. Well, J Radio, I'm sure they got it. So go check them out today, jradio.com. So it's been a good week. I'm on vacation since last Wednesday. I'm loving it. Brian, you've been on vacation. Oh, yeah, man. It was fantastic until today. We were coming back home. By the way, on vacation, all we do is eat. Hey, man. Nathan, you'd have been so. Oh, yeah. You'd have been so proud. The other night, we went to this seafood market, ordered five pounds of crab legs, Mm. shrimp, flounder. Mm. They Mm. had the the little (laughs) hush puppies with the honey butter. 
Oh man, it was such a blessing. But we were on the way home today and I looked back in the rearview mirror and I told my 17 year old Marley, I said, Marley, I love you so much. I love loving you. She said, thank you, daddy. I love you more than my Dr. Pepper. I said, man, dude, man, she just I, went I all the way with it. Took it to the top tier. I've never felt so loved in all my life. It was such a blessing. And Brian, I would have hard feelings towards you for talking about my favorite kind of food, seafood, like you did. But I've sent you so many pictures and videos from Champies mm-hmm. just about every Not time fair. I've gone there that you, I had that coming. Yeah. That's, that's fair yeah, You really did. <laughs> Nathan sends you those videos like where he's biting in with the perfect crunchy bite. That's when the oil is dripping off of your beard, like when the kings or the priests would be anointed in the Old Testament and the oil would run off their head, drip off their beard. That's what happens at Chick-fil-A. I have to go there before I preach on Sundays. Champies. Well, you- Chick-fil-A's close on Sunday. What? <laughs> I, I've got all these chicken places mixed up. Well, do you know, I really believe, like, if you could get the leftover oil – from champies, people might really be healed. <laughs> I mean, that stuff has got to be golden. Speaking of eating, Nathan and I took a lunch drive to Atlanta to eat with Jason Settles. Settles, Jason Settles, and I went to this Mexican restaurant. We left at nine a.m. Literally got home at four p.m. It was the longest lunch I've ever had in my life. But he's an <laughs> awesome guy. It was great. And somebody this week, Brian, they wrote in and said, "Hey, you and Nathan make fun of Brian for being all the way up there in Danville and not having anybody to come by and meet him." They said that they live close to you and they're going to come and meet you for lunch. So you don't have to oh, feel man, alone. I feel so special right now. I think now. they said to tell you to check your email or your text messages or something like that because you probably haven't received it. Yeah. Yeah, it's 322 text messages I told him ago. to get in line. <laughs> <laughs> Brian, you, you literally disappeared on us this week. Me and Nate were getting worried about you because we were texting and you weren't answering. And we were like, should we kind of be worried? And then you popped up at like 1130 at night. Hey, guys, been grabbing with some old men. <laughs> well, I was trying to recover just from the fact that, you know, I'm never where you guys are. And y'all are always just sending me all these pictures and everything of y'all hanging out. And I'm always left out. I am the redheaded stepchild <laughs> of the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast. We weren't going to tell you that, but if the shoe fits. Oh, you don't have to. You make it obvious. <laughs> I promise. Everybody right now, I need to give my address so you can send me sympathy <laughs> cards. You have no idea of the abuse I endure. And just because I'm on medication does not mean my feelings can't be hurt. <laughs> Oh, I love old people. Um, so, <laughs> hey, I'm barely older than you guys. Y'all say that every time. I'm barely older than you. What year did you graduate high school? 88. 88. I was born in 82. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Oh, man. I love you, Brian. That, that was so wrong. <laughs> I love you. Hey, today we're going to go ahead and jump right into the episode today. We're we're excited. that We haven't had an interview on here in the last couple of weeks, and so we're going to kick the interviews back off with this one tonight, and then next week we've got a great interview. Yeah, so excited. Our very first female guest. Yeah. And yes. we're going to go ahead and throw this out there, and we're going to be putting stuff online and, and hyping this. Lois McNair. Yeah. This lady has been really key and important in my life, and we've walked the same journey. She was a teacher, and she's probably going to share some stories on me that I really don't want her to share, but I've probably got a few on her, too, so we're going to work out a deal. Sweet. We're in negotiations this week, but so excited. (laughs) This lady has a story to tell, and it goes deep in the IFB world, so we've got some good things coming. And, you know, I think it's really important to get that female voice on. A few weeks ago, I had 
a young adult female who's listening to the podcast. And she said, there really needs to be a female voice on the podcast. And then my daughter, who's almost 20, said that. And then today I had another 20 year old say to me, there really needs to be a woman interviewed on the podcast. So I think this is incredibly important. Yeah. And we've got multiple interviews coming with Lois and looking forward to this. God's done amazing work in her life. She has an awesome story and she's just a cool person. So can't wait to get her in the studio. She will be in Chattanooga next week. That's it. So that's coming next Wednesday. Speaking of females, I'm excited tonight to have... (laughs) I had to. I couldn't pass it up. As a softball, I couldn't pass it up. Oh, man. All right. Tonight, we're real excited uh, to bring on the son of a man that I'm sure everybody who is part of the IFB and maybe even not part of the IFB have heard of. Uh, This is Phil Kidd's son. Paul Kid, how you doing, buddy? Doing good, man. What about y'all? Oh, we're doing well. Can't complain. Wouldn't have no fun doing it. Nobody would listen anyhow. <laughs> so I, I want to say to y'all, thank y'all for having me um, and letting me speak tonight. I'm honored to share my story and get my kind of my journey. And um, at, do, you, do you want me to, should I call you Brother JC or Brother Groves? <laughs> <laughs> I'll call you Phil's son then. So. Uh, I think he prefers Brother Groves. Brother Groves. That's John Calvin to you, sir. <laughs> I just want to say, I actually started listening to you guys back around, I guess it was March. Everything was kind of new and just starting. And um, I never realized then, and I don't think y'all did either, that just six or seven months later, that like right now as we do this podcast, there's like 68 countries have tuned in. I think New Zealand just tuned in for the first time this week. <laughs> Like 787 million people are watching between Facebook, live stream, YouTube, and the Roku. So this is just awesome. The Roku, I love it. Hey, I was actually laughing a little while back, Paul. Your dad got finished going through all of that, and basically the whole world is tuning in to his preaching. It's the whole world. Well, I, I think we all know independent Baptists have been known for a little bit of hyperbole. Evangelistically <laughs> speaking. No. Oh, I love it. Well, man, we, we wanted to bring you on tonight because we're, obviously we know your dad. And sure. uh, everybody listening at some point, I'm sure, has a different Phil Kidd story. Um, but we want to hear your story. Your story of uh, growing up as Phil's kid. And where God has you now, your journey out of the IFB, obviously this is the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast, and you have a story of very similar to ours. Um, you are a pastor's kid, and you know God is using you now in a different denomination, and so we want to just hear you share your story with us. Sure. Well, first off, I mean, my dad, to everyone else, he was always... Dr. Kid mm-hmm. or Phil Kid. You know, I mean, he was kind of the enigma that was that people always viewed him as. And for me, it was always different and odd because people would come up and be like, what's, what's it like living in Phil Kid's home? And I was like, he's dad. You yeah, know, that, yeah. was, that was always just such a different thing. And I know Brian can, I'm sure, speak to some of that same thing. Uh, but I grew up um, and, and kind of going back to some of the podcasts I've listened to, there's so much of the stories of each of us that have a part. Uh, back in the 80s when I was first born, that first kind of like nine years of my life, uh, we kind of hung out with a, a camp that was based out of Louisiana that Nathan has some uh, past history with as well, kind of the Mac Ford camp. And a lot of those preachers that kind of knew him was kind of like that first initial where my dad started to become, uh, you know, an evangelist and have some meetings and stuff. And then kind of in the early 90s, late 80s, early 90s, 
dad became very popular with uh, what we would call the camp meeting crowd. Uh, that was, of course, with uh, Brother Sammy Allen. That's a very you know well-known name by people, mm-hmm. whether you like him or not. He was just well-known. Uh, my dad, as a young man, started preaching some of those meetings and, and quickly became like the nighttime speaker, the one that everybody wanted to hear. He was bold. He was brash. He was... His self-styling was America's most controversial evangelist. That's what he built himself as. And um, and we kind of through the 90s, it was this camp meeting crowd of Sammy Allen. And there was another one based out of South Carolina. And um, and that's where we probably tied in a lot with people that Brian's kind of knew. So we had some time mm-hmm. with Nathan's time with, with Brian's uh, people in camp meeting. And then in the 2000s, it kind of switched where he was at a place where he just kind of picked and chose uh, kind of his friends, the people that supported him. And one of the things that people didn't realize about my dad, or they forget, if you've ever heard his testimony, a lot of people are probably going to roll their eyes like, oh, that's not true. There's a, that testimony, though, it tells something about him most people don't know. He, he was from a very rough background, and people think they know that, but it was rougher than what people even kind of imagine. And so my dad uh, came into this IFB world with no church background. He got saved at 16, called to preach, and at Bible college at 18, and at 21 years old, he is a full-time evangelist. Five years, wow. full-time evangelist, and within a couple years of that, he's preaching the biggest meetings in the movement. Yeah, you know? wow. and, and one of the things with that was, uh, and this is part of my journey, probably away from IFB a little bit, um, there's, there's a big focus on the independent, mm-hmm. being part of independent fundamental Baptist, and there's not a lot of father- figures within the movement because as a pastor or an evangelist or a preacher is independent you are you say whatever you say you do what you do you don't answer to anyone sure. type thing and so you know for my dad kind of growing up in through that <clears throat> being independent if he charted his own course basically however he wanted to and um good or bad you know i know there's a lot of people have varying opinions about him that was how he kind of made his way through the 80s and the 90s and the 2000s to the place we're at now so growing up with him, though, I got to sit because he was the big name. He was, you know, I hate to say it these terms, but he was kind of the star of most places that we went to that the, he would preach the night services and the Friday nights and all that. And I sat at the tables with the other preachers in the back camp meeting dining halls and in the kitchens and stuff. And some of that stuff that went on, the political side of independent movement probably did more to damage my thought process towards it, towards anything. Mm. It was so much of, you know, you scratch my back, I scratch yours. You have me in for a meeting and my church will give you a love offering, but then you have me in for a meeting and, I, you know, it will give you a love offering. And that way we kind of help each other out on the backs of the working people of our church. And there's so much of that that happens behind the scenes that so, you know, so many people don't see that I saw growing up. And it just that and then growing up and actually starting to question things started my journey out of out of the independent world. So, Paul, something you just said you know, really resonates with me. Um, I heard those same conversations. Mm, mm. And it was what I heard after the revival meetings that did more to damage me with regard to the independent fundamental movement than what I heard during the meetings. Because, you know, these guys were called the man of God. I even remember guys would be introduced, and they weren't even introduced by their names. It was come up and preach man of God. And you would see them in that light, and, and man, they're preaching the house down, and people are screaming and shouting. And sure. And then around the table, 
at the little diner down the road, you would hear, um, you'd hear racial slurs, racial jokes. Yep. Um, you would hear them talk about the other pastors that didn't take good care of them. Don't go preach in that church. They, you know, they don't take care of you or they put you in this kind of a hotel or, you know, there were all those different kind of conversations that really robbed me of a lot of respect, you know, for fundamentalist evangelists and preachers, even as a young teenage boy. And even on this podcast, these guys hold me accountable. We've made a commitment. I would say so much more than I do because I have so little respect for the majority of that, that movement that I could say things that wouldn't be beneficial or helpful to the cause of Christ. Mm. I want to only speak those things that are, you know, good for edification and I want to guard myself, but I experienced what you experienced. Absolutely. And and one of the things uh, going to your point, you know, uh, dishonor doesn't bring honor. Right. So for mm -hmm. any of us to dishonor someone doesn't heap honor upon us. And, and that's one thing tonight. I hope everybody understands. Yes, I'm here. Uh, to tell my story. Also, a lot of people will be here to hear about my, you know, raising and, and with my dad and stuff. But mm -hmm. I love my dad. Uh, me and my dad are on, you know, different paths in some instances, but we have a great relationship. I'd speak to him every week, sometimes multiple times a week. Um, he's, you know, he's pastoring his church. I'm pastoring here. We have a lot of talks. Um, to be honest with you, I'm probably the only person in the world uh, that my dad will listen to in a, any type of correction manner. Mm -hmm. uh, and I don't correct my dad in, in that manner. I hope you understand that, but he will listen to me more intently because he knows as a son, we have put a lot of things aside to love each other. So anything I would tell him would be out of pure love for each yeah. other. Yeah. And laying all of our differences aside, your dad is an extremely talented man. He's a very gifted speaker. He has a very commanding presence and power with the words he's also a very funny man i was i was looking at some stuff online this week kind of researching and i believe he's put out some comedy dvds is that right he has several of those out yes we've been trying to get brian to release uh, a dvd of some of his <laughs> comedy routine and uh he he just is afraid it will go to his head and he wants to stay humble so yeah i like to stay I, humble. i was i was at a jockey lot the other day and i thought i saw one for sale on a table <laughs> at the flea market <laughs> dollars. you know it's popular but you know nathan what you just said is true paul i think the thing that amazes me on the fly and you know it's not from his notes you can you can see that he's not focused on a piece of paper your dad can just i mean it's almost like rapping i mean he can just put <laughs> phrases and ideas and words and catch phrases and all that together just on the fly. I hear him do that. And I couldn't do that if my life depended on it. He is one of the most talented, honestly, he's one of the most talented and brilliant men you'll ever meet. Most people don't even realize aside from preaching as a businessman. And I know some people, some of the stuff he says <laughs> online, people can laugh at, but he has set himself up well outside mm. of preaching because in business mind, he, he is brilliant. Matter of fact, some of the best teaching, get away from the preaching style, but teaching that I've ever heard him do at churches was churches would turn out Sunday schools, you know, the old Sunday school in Baptist, yeah. right? And he would do a financial courses sometimes on Sunday mornings for Sunday school. And in that 45 minutes would just blow you away on finance mm -hmm. and, and the brilliance of it. 
it's ridiculous how smart he is if you ever sit down with him. We want to get back to some of your dad here in a few minutes, but let's get back to your story. What was it in your life that really kind of put the nail in the coffin in moving you away from the IFB? Because you've seen all that it has to offer from the inside out, the top to the bottom. And we can try to paint a pretty picture and try to honor people. But at the end of the day, we walked away, all four of us. So what was it that really moved you out? And do you know everybody that's on our intro? Personally. <laughs> um, the only one I do not know is Jack Hiles. I never met him personally. You're um, not missing much, I guess. <laughs> everyone else on there, yes. And on some of the infamous Twitter accounts, I've met probably about 95 to 98% of most of those people personally. Many of them I've ate in their homes, sat down with them, know them outside of the church as well. Are you IFB preacher clips? I am not. Okay. Just just clearing the air. (laughs) You do know that you are in the top 3% of possibility for that position, right? I've actually never even thought about that. I'll be honest. I work, uh, I've been bivocational for eight years as a pastor. So you have Um, a lot of time to do it. Okay. I have no time to do it. (laughs) Um, The last six years, I've been a senior manager for Tyson Foods. Okay. And uh, I actually, believe it or not, no one even knows this. We're telling it at our church Sunday. I turned in my notice two weeks ago, and uh, they asked me to stay two more weeks. And so next Friday, I'm actually will be in the full time full time ministry for the first time. Wow! wow. Hey, man. Congratulations. Awesome. So yeah, that's pretty. That's pretty cool. For Breaking me. So news I, on the RFP. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't have time to sit around and find clips of all these people. That's what they all say. But yeah, I know a lot of them. And the question you had, Nathan, going back to it, um, one big one was my dad in the late 90s, I believe it was, preached a message at a huge camp meeting in South Carolina. And it was called um, Distinguishing Lordship from Leadership. And in it, all the big name preachers are there. And he basically roasted them for taking the independent mantle and becoming the Holy spirit in people's lives, basically. Wow. Hmm. And it, he cost him a lot of meetings that week. Um, and that was one thing about my dad. He was, he was never somebody beholden to a camp where he wouldn't call out problems. You know, some of the issues back in the eighties from that camp, he quickly called it out when it came to his attention, the nineties, it was the same. When he preached that though, seeing the backlash that came to him and it was like, okay, my dad just preached. You're not the Lord of your people. You're just to lead them. And that made you mad. That doesn't make sense to me. The only reason you get mad is if you'd want to be the Lord of people. And so that was kind of like the first initial, hey, these guys are going, this is an overbearing, overborn problem that we have in the independent world. So I started questioning things. I remember questioning some things in the late 90s and early 2000s, but when you're raised within that circle, you don't go too far with your questions, right? Mm-hmm. And there was a situation that happened um, in South Carolina where uh, it's a long story. Some of y'all may remember it from way back. And it really put a bad taste in my mouth towards some certain people. And that was my first look at these people are, are, are not right. Like something is wrong with them. It's not just that they have a few things I would disagree. Something's fundamentally wrong with their belief system. And so in researching, just kind of looking at that and starting to ask questions, I remember the first question I ever asked my dad that he didn't have an answer for 
that satisfied me. You know, when you're 16 and ask a question and dad said it, it's like dad said it, that's all, right? That's all you need to know. I remember I asked him uh, right around the time I was married. So we're talking 2005. I said, dad, we grew up, we never put on a pair of shorts my entire life. Mm. I mean, I'm the guy that swam in blue jeans and a t-shirt. Same. <laughs> Y'all been Bless there. Right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> been there, done that, um, got the blue jeans. <laughs> <laughs> and then my mom made us some like lightweight pajama pants and we swim. <laughs> and those were just as bad as anything. Well, elastic doesn't hold well when you no. die. So anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> But, um, you know, I said, Dad, really, what is your biblical? And I know this is crazy for some people because you don't, we grew up no TV. I mean, all of yeah. these things, never watched anything, right? I said, what's your basis for this? And he's like, well, you know, and he kind of hem-hawed around a little bit. I remember standing in our, in our dining room and I said, but Dad, that's, you know, why is it wrong? What is, what is, what is biblically wrong? Not your personal opinion, whether you like or not. What's biblically wrong? Mm. And he said, well, you know, Psalms 147.10, or don't take pleasure in the legs of a man or the strength of a horse. I said, Dad, that's that's so out of context. Mm. I said, it's talking about the strength. I said, the strength of a man's in his legs, the strength of a horse in his leg. What God's saying is he doesn't, you know, it's not, you're not impressive to him because you're so strong. Mm. So that has nothing to do with looking at his, his legs peeking out from a pair of shorts. <laughs> <laughs> And, um, and I remember he looked at me and he was honest and I appreciate that. That's what he, his, he said. I'll be honest with you. He said, when I got saved and went to Bible college at Tabernacle uh, with Dr. Harold Seidler, there was the big split between Bob Jones University and Tabernacle. Mm -hmm. There was always that contentious fight. Well, Bob Jones started going the way of back in those days. Remember the NBA players had the really short shorts. Well, Bob Jones wanted to kind of look like them and they were getting shorter and shorter so that gave the preacher boys something to preach on. And they preached on it so heavy and put so much pressure on the faculty that Tabernacle quit wearing shorts and went back to wearing pants just to be the opposite of Bob Jones. And he said, you know, you're just brought up in that. And then it became sin and it became, you know, yeah. where's the stopping point? If they're knee length, what's thigh length? What's up to the, he's like, so just to avoid it, we just preached against it all. And I remember walking wow. away from the conversation, thankful that he was honest that that's, you know, where he got his base from, but saying, okay, I've got to have Bible for everything I believe. That's right. I, I'm done with just, I believe it. It now has to, and that was my journey to starting to look at everything was Bible has to say it. And that's one of the ironic things about the IFB, because I think all four of us would share the same type of story that the IFB has some paradoxes within it. They teach us to lean so heavily upon Scripture and the authority of Scripture, but then when we start looking at some of the teachings and the principles and the man-made doctrines against Scripture, it's, it's sort of self-defeating. And honestly, some of us, I would say maybe all of us, are sitting here today in part because of the tensions that exist within the IFB, things that can't coexist unless you just Ah, write them off, you right. know, and ignore them. So people that are thinkers, like I know all four of us are, and start weighing these things against Scripture, hey, if I take this to its natural conclusion that Scripture is the ultimate authority in our lives, then that gives us liberty and freedom to walk away from some of these man-made rules and demands. Absolutely. And one of the things, too, is Titus two fourteen says that we're a peculiar people. 
but that doesn't mean we're weird. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> yes. Some of this stuff, honestly, yeah. it's just weird. And I just, I just started looking at each individually and I was like, okay, I have to, you know, all the way down to, and I've had these conversations with my dad, with people I love, my friends and stuff, and looking at everything I've ever been taught and saying, is this what the Bible truly says? Is this, you know, what, what the Bible lays out? And, and those were freeing to me. Well, Paul, I had a lot of those same kind of conversations with my dad. And the thing that would really frustrate him was when he didn't have a verse. <laughs> and I would just ask him, you know, where does the Bible say this? You know, where where can you find this? Show me in the scripture. And he couldn't. And so he said, you know, himself, I would get so frustrated because you would have a verse and I wouldn't. And there's just so many things that are preached you know, for example, where, where does the Bible say culottes are modest apparel? And then, you know, a lot of the uh, strict fundamentalists now, the guys are allowed to wear shorts. Mm-hmm. But the girls still can't. Right. Where does the Bible say that's okay? Where is flesh-colored pantyhose in that whole thing? Yeah, where does that happen? <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's just there were so many things that just, you're right, It just it's not in the text. It's not in the Scripture. Absolutely. And and speaking on that, Brother Groves, um, <laughs> I was at a camp meeting years ago and a man preached against pantyhose and um, he wrote a book and he called it the devil's wrapping paper. No way. Oh, <laughs> you are kidding. No way. Serious. He preached a whole message on it. And, and the ironic part is uh, he got caught about two years later wearing his wife's of course he did i was of gonna course say he did i was gonna say would it not be easier to write a book called i have a strange fetish <laughs> <laughs> well i remember don green i think that was his name yep. preaching on wire rim glasses yep hairspray me too and parting your hair in the yep. middle yep yep and he preached against wire rim glasses because john lennon wore them it's that insane the basis nathan were you at were you at White Plains Baptist Church when he preached that? Yes, I was. Okay, then you and I were at the same meeting. As kids. We were singing at that meeting. That proves it. Yep. I wasn't born. There was so much ridiculousness at that meeting, all the way from Don Green preaching on hairspray and wire rim glasses to Peter Ruckman. And then that night, he got up behind the pulpit and started talking about his honeymoon with his, was that his second or third wife? And I'll never forget, like 250 or more people got up and walked out because the things he was saying was so graphic and so bad that people started walking out. Mm. So, Paul, I'm interested. What was the worst meeting that you have ever been in? Oh, wow. Singular meeting or worst message? Mm, Both and. Both and. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The the worst message I ever heard, um, and I'll be very – less graphic a man got up at a camp meeting and he preached on um the title was a menstruous church and (laughs) what preached about 40 minutes uh the possibly worst message i've ever heard in my life oh that's definitely the worst title i've ever heard real he he thought he'd hit a home run did you take notes (laughs) So where was your dad at when he preached that sermon? 
believe it or not, I remember the guy's name. We're talking 20 years ago. Um, Who was it? Throw it on us. <laughs> I'm not going to throw him under the bus. Okay, okay. Uh, he's probably actually a pretty good guy, I guess. I haven't seen him What's years. his initials? But, uh, <laughs> my dad, that was the afternoon, and my dad would always go take a nap and study during afternoon service. So my dad wasn't there during that service. Wow. So, yeah. Uh, the, the worst meeting, um, God, that's a – that's one man because camp meetings always had two or three that just were, were awful. Yeah. Um, I remember one, I was actually talking to a friend yesterday. He got up and preached an hour and 45 minutes on why the Holy spirit was never necessary anymore. And like, he's gone. Like he's Whoa. not even part of the Trinity. Wow. Like he's, his, his work is completed and done. And the pastor just lets him go for an hour and 45 minutes. I mean, people are getting up and walking out. I mean, it was just, you know, mm. not, not right and then he gets up behind him and quotes like every verse on the holy spirit that he could wow <laughs> i'm like you should have just said his rear end down an hour and a half ago and done yes <laughs> no doubt well an hour and 45 minute sermon is nothing when you've sat through a three-hour sammy allen offering oh boy <laughs> tell us about it i've been i've been to those um yeah been there done that didn't give anything. Yeah, um, question for you. So I've felt awkward sitting in a sermon or two that your dad has been up preaching. Do you have a time where you just felt really awkward sitting in a message or just wanted to get up and leave, but because you're Phil's boy, you couldn't get up and leave? When I was, when I was at home, it wasn't, it's weird. When you're in it, you don't view it the same as when you're not. Um, and I think Brian, you probably, your first 17, 18 years, you understand what I'm, what I'm talking yes. about. Some of y'all may as well. It, it doesn't have the same. So there was times I'm sitting there. Um, probably the times when I feel like more getting up and walking out would be the times when I knew people were angry, mm-hmm. you know, at, at what he was saying and whether it was right or wrong, you can judge that, but he was my dad, you know, yeah. and I'm defensive, you know, that's my dad. And, and so that's probably more so than getting up and walking out on him. So can you kind of fill us in on your journey from the IFB to where you are now? Sure. So so in 2007, um, in 2005 to 2007, I led singing, uh, did some worship for a church here in Morganton. My best friend was the pastor. And it was during those years we actually kind of together started questioning some of the stuff because he was born in the old Blue Ridge camp meetings and Taylorsville and all those, you know. He kind of just grew up in all that. And uh, we started kind of questioning some of this stuff. Anyway, I moved back to Mississippi and went to Mississippi State. I was not called to preach. I was not a minister. Um, I actually always wanted to be a businessman and make a lot of money and give back to church. And, and I always loved to give. And so I was like, I'm going to be, you know, just make a ton of money. I always felt like if I could fly for a company one day, like if they ever flew me somewhere, that means like I've arrived. Like oh, yeah. that was just a personal goal, right? And so I went to college and while I was in college, I was a youth pastor for a church that my dad ended up taking that we went to in Mississippi. The pastor was gone. My dad took over this church for like 20 people and built it to like 180 people in about a year. I mean, because Mississippi, they loved him, you know, it's just his culture and it's his people. And um, I went and became a youth pastor there. And there were some, a lot of questions. This is the time when me and my dad had a lot of questions together and talked to him the most about some of this stuff. Um, anyway, he ended up leaving and I uh, was back in college and we were driving home one night from a church service. And I looked over at my wife and I said, um, I feel that God is calling me into ministry. Mm. And I mean, this was out of the blue. I'm two and a half years into college for business. 
wasn't my career trajectory, wasn't my goal. I didn't want to preach. It was nothing I wanted to do. And she's like, are you sure? And I said, yeah, I'm as hundred percent sure as I can be. I mean, it just, it was just God put it in my heart. And I went from ministry, knowing and seeing the dark side of it being what I didn't want uh, to that's, that's nothing else satisfied. Like Mm -hmm. ministry is all my heart wanted at that point. And it was such, and it had to be a Holy spirit God thing because I wasn't in my mind. So I, I actually ended up at college for a little bit more and a church that knew me as a youth pastor called and asked if I would come speak at their church and possibly candidate to preach just a little small church in Mississippi. And I was like, well, okay, let's give it a shot. So I went 35, you know, one of those little churches, 35 people, whatever. Um, But I felt like it was the right thing to do, but I knew it wasn't going to be my long-term ministry there. Like God had told me, I felt like in my spirit, this is a training ground for you. And um, I pastored there for almost two years, built the church up pretty well. And it was during that time. Now I'm the pastor, right? I don't have to answer as much. Now I have to make sure that what I teach people is correct. It's biblical. Mm. It's right. Um, And I'm the one that has to answer for that. And that's when I started really questioning and um, started saying, okay, if the Bible says it, we'll believe it. If not, you know, let's be honest. There's some gray area in the Bible. I know the independent Baptists like everything to be black and white. It's one or the other. And I believe that's where the Holy Spirit, why he's active is to help us in those gray areas of our life. Mm-hmm. And um, so I started to believe that and said, okay, let's, we can do some things differently if the Bible's not against it, you know? And um, I remember I had the Easter bunny at the church and put it online on Facebook. This is back in, you know, early days. And man, <laughs> I got just ripped by people. I could not believe, you know, that I would have the Easter bunny at church. And I was like, it's not that, this isn't that controversial, you know? I just... <laughs> Maybe people bring their kids and hear about Jesus. I mean, what a novel concept. Yeah. And um, and so through that, long story short, what really changed my heart about it, I still had a lot of questions. I was still wearing the suit and the tie and all that. What changed my heart? I had a friend invite me to Unleash at New Spring in 2010. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, okay. So I drove up, actually slept in my van. I was like, I ain't even paying for a hotel room because if I hate this, I'm leaving. And I go back to and, um, and I went in and I'm kind of a skeptic, but I wanted to fit in. So I put my jeans and the nice button down shirt on, you know, so I wouldn't be, you know, the guy in the suit, whatever. And I walked in feeling very strange, like this is not me. And I'm looking around at this 2,800 seat auditorium, thousands upon thousands of leaders. This is a leaders conference, you know, mm-hmm. so it's all leaders and stuff. And I'm like, this is everything I've ever heard preached against. Mm-hmm. Yeah. These are the guys that don't preach on anything. They let everything go. There's no standards. These are those guys. Okay. You know, let's see what they're all about. Right. And I remember they opened up with um, a guy from Revolution Church in Atlanta singing Superstitious by Stevie Wonder. And I'm like, "Mm -hmm." that's what I thought. You know, and they just had fun with it or whatever. But I'm like, you bunch of liberals, you know, that's ridiculous. <laughs> so they get done and the, the band sings a song. And then uh, Rosangela Merritt, she was a former worship leader there, a, one of the best singers you ever hear. She started singing. Um, this was, you gotta realize, this is 2010. It was newer then. Started singing a Revelation song. Mm-hmm. And I remember just, I was in the balcony. I was way up, like way almost towards the back. She starts singing. And I looked around and saw people with hair that didn't have all the same color, people with tattoos, 
people, you know, not dressed according to what we would have gone to church dressed as. And I looked at them. They weren't ones looking around. They had hands up. Some of them were crying with tears down their face. The, the place, you know, just the music and the words and the power in the song, just the atmosphere of the place, the Holy Spirit was there. And I started crying, just looking at other people worshiping. Yeah. And I remember thinking, oh, my God, these are people that I've been told don't know Jesus. Yeah. And they're lost in his presence. And they don't even realize I'm watching them. Yeah, I should be like them, not them like me. And that one day when it came to worship and church world absolutely changed my life. Wow. And it takes a lot of courage to walk away from all that you've ever known in your life. But when the Holy Spirit's leading you, when God becomes the focus and Scripture becomes the standard, yeah. that's all you need. Absolutely. And, and I remember he preached that day. Um, and I'd watched a few of Perry Noble's sermons online at the time didn't know too much about him. And I remember he gets up and he preaches and he preached against sin that I had never actually even heard preached in independent Baptist pulpits, wow. naming certain things. And I know, understand, you know, how some things happened in his life and I pray for him and I'm glad to see that he's doing better. But it was just at the moment of these guys don't preach against sin, but he just addressed topics. I've lived a whole life in a, in a movement that's never addressed publicly before. Yeah. Wow. Which is amazing. I'd love for you to unpack that just a little bit more because, you know, I think, I think a lot of us at the point where we were leaving, if you will, there was still that approval that we were seeking from dad or that, that need to say, okay, I still kind of want to hold on to this, but knowing that there was something different out there, did you have that internal struggle that was going on there? And how did that get brought up to your dad and those next steps after that? That's a really good point. One thing about me that I learned from my dad is I can get up and drink 32 ounces if I don't give a rip to his old saying. Um, I've never, for me, I've never been driven. My internal is never driven by people, mm -hmm. uh, popularity and people. Uh, to be honest with you, I've never like tried to market my name and put myself out there. It's just not me. Like people, if, if everybody walked by me at church after I preached and nobody said good job, doesn't bother me. Like Come on. I know internally that's what drives me. Right. And so, so, so in trying, you know, in changing, it was never like, well, if I change, man, people are going to think about it with my dad and, and it's put, I, I've never really thought that that's like never been my calculus to me. It was always like, I want to study the scripture and know what I believe. I, be I believe I can take the Bible and line it up and, and prove out what I believe. That was the most important thing to me more than even my dad. And I feel that pressure because, you know, when my dad started changing, I was accused of being the person who ruined the ministry of Craig Edwards. I had a friend of mine who called me one night and he was crying and he said, I want to apologize to you. He said, I've just sat at a table after a big revival meeting. And I sat at the table silently while I heard all of these pastors rip you to shreds. And I know what you believe and I know who you are. And, and basically what they were saying was, you know, that I had changed, I'd gone liberal. And then now my dad had proven that he loved his kids more than he loved God. Mm. And I'm JC, when you asked that question a moment ago, I know you asked that of Paul, but I really felt the weight of that because mm -hmm. I lived through that because when I felt like I was personally responsible for ruining my dad's ministry or shining a bad light on him or, you know, bringing a reproach to our family, 
that was really difficult. And that's when I had to decide, Paul, I know that you and I've had some great conversations in the past. The changes that we made were a matter of conviction, right? not a matter of convenience. That's what changes everything. Absolutely. Because honestly, if I tried and wanted to be like my dad, it could explode my platform more. Yeah. All of his contacts, all the people that I know and grew up with, they're in that world, right? So for me to be who I am, it stepped into a totally new world. I always used to tell this too. I said, people that know me don't like me because I'm not them. But people that would love me don't know me because I've never been in their world. Mm. And, um, and that's kind of you know where I've been. Now, I will say to my dad, um, one of the things my dad has lost a lot of meetings because he refuses to disassociate from me. Yeah. Uh, the fact he has me into preaching his pulpit, he has lost friendships, long-term friendships over that. Um, but one thing my dad, and, and this goes back to a little bit about his, his, um, his culture, uh, the street culture that he was raised with, the one thing he values above all, and preachers don't get this because they're such backstabbing people in a lot of areas, loyalty is first in my dad's life, mm-hmm. not conformity. Loyalty is first because that's the word on the street, right? And, um, and you know, there's a, a philosopher that said one time, hustle, loyalty, and respect. His name was John Cena. And um, that's what <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's kind of the creed that my dad lives by. So my dad, he doesn't expect conformity from me, but loyalty, and, and I don't want you to think loyalty in a bad way. Loyalty is honor when I have the chance to dishonor. Yeah. Right. That's the loyalty. And from other preachers, it's the same way. When a preacher would come up to my dad and be like, well, listen, right now the heat's on. Can we cancel the meeting this year until this kind of blows over and I'll be back? You know, maybe I'll have you back next year. Dad's like, I'm going to make this easy for you. I'm not coming back next year and Mm -hmm. I'll never be back again. (laughs) If you can't be loyal to me in the midst of adversity, I don't want to, you know, I don't need to come to be part of your church. And so loyalty, one thing, dad. So in return, though, the one thing my dad will do, he will give you loyalty back. Mm. And for me, I've never broken his trust and I will not break his trust as a dad and a father, you know, a father son combination. And, um, and he has been loyal to me in the face of friends walking away. Well, that blows me away that he has you preach in his pulpit. And that almost messed up my next question, but I'm going to go ahead and ask it anyway, because if we took all the clips of your dad over the years preaching against the whole contemporary movement and all the music and all the styles and all this other stuff that honestly from his sermons doesn't sound like he even considers them Christian. A lot of that applies to you now. So how do you kind of reconcile that in your mind that this is what they think of me and yet I'm going to keep doing what I'm called to do? I think a lot of it is independent Baptist movements love Glass Joe Y'all remember the old Mike Tyson's punch out? They yes. love having a foil that 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 cannot fight them, right? Yeah. So they build up this like straw man and then they have the crowd ah, ding 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 and then they just pummel whatever they want to throw up, yeah. knowing it has no chance to hurt them, right? And I think a lot of this stuff is they they build this straw man of of who they want these churches to be, who they want these pastors to be, how they think that they operate without ever knowing them. And now for me, it's different because now he knows me. He talks to me. He knows my heart. He knows I'm not trying to be famous. He knows I'm not trying to ride on someone's coattail. Mm -hmm. I'm not doing it out of, you know, some other hidden desire. 
he knows that I am who I am and we do what we do because we love people and people come first and the gospel and seeing people saved and regenerated. That's like my passion in my heart. And now if he looks at it, what the old glass Joe was, isn't me. And so he's had to reconcile that there's a lot of straw men probably in life that you, you've just built to be something that's not. Yeah. So Paul, I did hear that, uh, one time you went to preach for your dad and they wouldn't allow you to preach on the platform. You had to preach down on the floor. Is that true? That was the first time I ever preached for my dad. Um, it was, I did, it's hard to explain because it wasn't necessarily a typical church service. So he did feel more comfortable with me on, on the floor at that time. Cause I got, you got to realize something too. I, I posed questions to him he had never had to think about see all those guys in those worlds they they make black and white and it's you know this is what we stand blah 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 and they never engage with somebody who believes differently than them and now all of a sudden my dad is actually having to engage in conversations with somebody who views christianity and and stuff differently and for him that was a i mean that was a reconciling struggle for a little while there's no doubt Oh, I trust me. I'm not asking that because I'm not throwing that as a jab. I experienced the same thing. Not, not my dad making me <laughs> preach down on the floor, but him giving me a list of rules before I got there. Yeah. Make sure you bring a King James Bible. Yeah. Don't say yeah. this, don't say that. And then we even had the conversation uh, that revolved around how many people were turning their back on my dad just because he would have me come and preach period. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And, and you know what, the one thing about my dad though, when we have that conversation, my dad like never hesitates on saying, but if they walk away from me because I'm friends with my son, screw them. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> I don't give a flip, you know, I'll lose everything. I ain't walking away from my son. Hmm. You know? And so that's, that's the good, you know, definitely the good side of my dad in that he is. And like I said, loyalty is something that is just ingrained in him from the street value that comes first. Well, if anybody knows anything about Phil Kidd, it's that he's a tough guy. All the way from MMA fights to the way he preaches to the way he talks. So it's clear that he can dish it out. So would you say it's fair to say that he can take it as well? That, oh, yeah, absolutely. My dad, I mean, he, <laughs> people say things about him has never you know bothered him. In his ministry, the more people talked about him, he always told us, he said, all publicity is free publicity. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, if, so if I'm on people's mouth, that's free publicity for me. Yeah, you know? so we don't we don't want to bash him, but we do want to be honest and talk about some things that may be a little bit more difficult. For sure. example, the very first time someone in my family introduced me to your dad's preaching, we're driving down the road, and I think he put in a cassette tape. It was in Pensacola, Florida, and uh, your dad is using racial slurs, talking about different nationalities, and that's something that in today's world. I believe needs to be addressed and needs to be reconciled. So how do you move your ministry forward and what kind of conversations have you and your dad had about some of his viewpoints in the past or where he's at right now? That This is, I think in today's time, this is probably one of the most important things we can talk about because if we're honest, independent Baptist churches I grew up in, were about 99% white. Yeah. Yeah. Just were. And I think there's a reason behind that because Brian alluded to it earlier, sitting at the camp meeting tables in the back, 
halls. I heard it all too. Mm-hmm. Uh, matter of fact, I'll be just straight up honest. And I've been honest with our church. I've been trying to be very honest with race relations. I was a teenager who grew up in Mississippi. I participated in those conversations too. And it's unfortunate. I look back and I regret it. I, I have apologized and I've asked forgiveness from people that I know. Um, you know, but in that moment, that's just, you know, your culture of what you, what you knew. And, and, um, I, I, that has to change. And that, that's a whole big story to go into how it changes. But those conversations I have with my dad, um, I, I try to just, the Bible says in first Corinthians chapter number 12, the end of the end of the chapter, it says that there's a more excellent way. Mm-hmm. And in chapter 13, it is a continuation of that. And it goes straight into love, mm-hmm. right? The most excellent way to lead is, is through love. And if you don't love, you're a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal, right? The King James Version would say that. And what that means is you're all sound and fury if you really don't love the people first. And the most excellent way to lead has to start with, with love. And I know my dad loves people of all races. I mean, I've seen, I've seen stories, and I could go into a ton of them, of what people don't see outside of the pulpit. But unfortunately, sometimes what people hear and what is said becomes the reality of who they believe the man is. And, um, you know, that's something my dad would have to definitely answer for. Um, I, I don't do those things. Uh, there's a lot I don't say be, that I grew up probably saying and hearing. Um, and, and I think this is one of those times where everybody, it doesn't matter culture, it doesn't matter your background, it doesn't matter your, um, you know, decade or century you were born in or, you know, well, it used to be this way versus that. I think you just have to reconcile. If we can't, there's two things. And this is why I don't like, without being political a little bit, cancel culture, because it basically looks at nobody can change, mm-hmm. right? I think that people that had a view 20 years ago can have a different view now. And you need to let people have that space of saying, hey, I was a screw up. I've done some stupid things wrong. I said things I shouldn't have said. Let's be honest. I'm different. God is, or, you know, whether it's God or not, just I've changed. And that has to be allowed. That's part of forgiveness. That's part of the kingdom of God. We have to have that. I agree with that. Paul, I'm, I'm curious. You know your dad better than anybody that's listening or any of us. My question is, do, do you think that the persona that he gives off calling people whores and fags and all the slang that he uses, is that just kind of who he has become, and that's what is expected of a Phil kid when he stands up and preaches in the pulpit. Do you feel like he could change? Do you feel because you've said that he's got gifts, and there's there's a lot of that that's in him that could be used. And you know, I mean, preaching at some of these tent, you know camp meetings and things like that. Do you feel like he could change, or do you feel like he's got such a persona that he's got to keep up, and that's why he is the way that he is? No, no, he can he can definitely change, and probably the thing that's helping that that's helped him some and the most is pastoring. Hmm. See, as an evangelist, when you drop in on a church for five days, you can say whatever you want and leave on Friday. Sure, and you're, sure. you don't, you don't deal with the nuclear fire out of anything, right? right. You're on to the next. Um, it's different as a pastor, yeah. you know, when, when that person comes to you hurting and broken and what you've said has hurt and broken them, you can either do one of two things. You can either one, run them off and say, you don't question the man of God or, you know, which a lot of people do. Mm-hmm. Or number two is to ask and, you know, ask yourself and, and no, I believe absolutely. He has all the power to, to be able to, to reconcile. And to me, and we've had this conversation before to me, I think, um, you know, reconciling some of those things that he said and reconciling with good people that can help him. I, that's something I've definitely encouraged a lot. 
And I've said in the past that, you know, I didn't think very much of Phil Kidd. And I'll just be honest. I've I've made the statement before that I almost hated him because of some of the ways he preached and presented things. And like I said, I've never met him. But honestly, hearing your heart for your dad has <laughs> resonated with me big time. And it gives me a lot of hope for yes. the future. And uh, there are things in my past, there are things in my family's past that thank God for redemption. Thank God for learning and for growing. But I think one of the biggest things that I really struggled with, not just with your dad, man, it's a whole culture of the IFB and camp meeting crowd that we grew up in, is just this angry yeah. preaching where you don't talk to anybody else anywhere in your life in that tone of voice. Yeah. But as soon as you stand up in the pulpit, even naming the scripture text that you're preaching from is in this like drunken, I'm about to bust you in the mouth. Throw your trench coat of off voice. and ready to go. Yeah. 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 So uh, I think my biggest problem with your dad and others is just angry. And I remember the first time my wife, who came from a Wesleyan Nazarene background, came mm. to the IFB world with me in the first few minutes of the sermon. She leaned over and she goes, why is he screaming? <laughs> and I was like, like, I didn't even realize he was screaming. That was just preaching to me. It was just what we had always heard. And she said, what is he angry about? Like, he's just, I've never heard a preacher scream in rage. You should have, said, you should have looked at her and said, it's because we have blue top milk in our refrigerator. Not <laughs> well, one of my favorite Phil Kidd stories ever, Nathan, just to play off what you just said. I had some pastor friends who heard about, you know, Phil Kidd, the legend, and all the the wild things he would do and how, you know, when he would be preaching and he would say things like, you know, if you don't like it, I'll meet you in the parking lot. And about 30 or 40 guys would stand up, you know, as if you met Phil Kidd in the parking lot, you were going to meet all 30 or 40 guys. But these guys went to hear your dad preach. And he took his text um, from Balaam, the story of Balaam and yep. Balaam's ass. And your dad preached on some asses I don't like. Yep. A lazy ass, a dumb ass, a smart ass. And they sat there and couldn't believe it, man. They were in total, complete shock. Do you remember that sermon? It, the sermon was titled was Some Asses I Can't Plow With. Whoa. Okay. That was the ter sermon title. And <laughs> if you actually go back and listen to it, which I have, um, half the sermon described the type of church that I now pastor. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, making well, I, don't my point. Know, I don't know which ass I fall into. <laughs> hey, was that the sermon where at the end he would wrap up? Because I, I remember the first time I heard your dad preach, I was probably 10, 11, maybe 12. I was with my papa, Charlie Sturgill. And I'll, I remember him preaching on the ass that Jesus rode into town. And he, he talked about, and he, he said it over and over again, and I'll never forget it. It was about 45 minutes into it. He goes, here's what I'm saying. You preachers, teachers, missionaries, evangelists, that donkey was tied up to a tree and Jesus came by and rode it into town. You need to tie your ass up to a tree and wait for God to use you. And I looked <laughs> at my papa. And as a 12-year-old, you thought that was the greatest sermon. I loved how many times he said the word ass. I was like, this is the greatest sermon I've ever heard in my life. And my papa was like, live it. <laughs> but, you know, some of that, some of that, there's shock value. I get it. Yeah. But it goes back to something I said earlier. Um, the lack of fatherhood figures in IFB, because they were taught and ingrained that nobody tells you what to do. 
Nobody has authority to sit you down and correct you. You're the man of God. You're yeah. the, you know, you got the raw power of God on you. And, and I think some of those things would probably have been beneficial to have a voice that could speak clearly as a younger man to maybe tone some of that as he got older. But then once that independent streak saw the, the rise, it was too late at that point. As we begin to wrap this interview up, I wanted to ask you about all of the disunity that we've all seen within the independent Baptist movement of camps splitting and backbiting and talking about other preachers and pastors. If the one sign of unity in the Church of Jesus Christ to the world around us is our love for one another, what do you have to say about the disunity that you saw in the church growing up? I'm going to be honest. The disunity was amongst the preachers more than the people. Yeah. Um, Mm. People loved each other. People loved other preachers. The problems was mainly the preachers. Um, They got so ingrained in trying to build their own fiefdoms and kingdoms within churches that they're the ones that caused most of the problems. Just being honest. Um, A lot of times good people didn't even understand the political power plays that were happening behind the scenes. Mm. And then all of a sudden, you know, their pastor would get up and announce that so-and-so who's preached here at this church for 20 years, you know, they've, and they always had to make up some big story that they're liberal or whatever the case. It was never like, Hey, we just, you know, like Paul and Barnabas, we just kind of didn't see some things out of it. No, it's like, you have to bash them, trash them. And, you know, take him across the street and dump it. (laughs) Yeah. And, and we've all seen the fallout of that in the churches among the people that spread from the leaders throughout the IFB movement. And right now, I honestly believe it's so fractured that we're seeing it die a really fast death. I actually agree a hundred percent. Um, a friend of mine, we were talking the other day and we said, name five independent Baptist churches, uh, that are actually growing, like that you would model yourself after in that older school way. And it was like, they're all dying. They're all, Mm -hmm. you know, why would I go? And and one thing I never understood in the independent Baptist world was they would hail these heroes of the faith whose ministries like deteriorated and fell apart. And I'm like, why are you, why are you, you know, and I understand some things can happen, but this guy just ruined a church of 500 and, you know, ran all the devils off of, thank God he's got his 12 left. There was 488 devils in the church. Mm. And now he's the hero we're going to follow. You know, what about the guy over here that took a church from hundred to 250? Maybe he's doing something a little bit more that we should walk, you know, we should walk after, but because that guy held the line, you know, he's, he held firm. That's the one they followed. And, and I never understood that. They just didn't. It was almost like mediocrity and failure was rewarded with with you. You stood by the stuff. Wow. I've heard that before. Man, Paul, that was really good. Um, I won't call his name, but one of the most famous independent fundamental preachers ever in history. Uh, right before he died, um, he actually had a young man. I happen to be friends with that young man. He had him come by his house and drive him over to the church building. He said he just wanted to see it. Mm. So this young man went to his house, helped him get to the car, helped him get in the car, and drove him. And when they pulled up in the parking lot, there was just total silence for about 45 minutes. And this famous old preacher broke the silence. He said, I made a mess, and now I'm too old to do anything about it, Mm. and this will never survive. 
Wow. Wow. It's just powerful. And that's been repeated over and over again. Another really famous independent Baptist pastor stood up in a huge auditorium that used to be full, and there was only just a few older people there, and he made this statement, there was nobody when I came, and I don't care if there's nobody when I'm gone. I'm going to stick by the stuff. I think that's that's repeated over and over again. And it's sad when you turn the sanctuary into a cemetery because you're building your own kingdom. Yep. I've seen it so many times, man. And that's 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 I probably would know those preachers if you said their name. Um, because I've seen that and I've been in those churches. And I and I don't understand why running people off and hurting people in the process, um, why that's viewed as like the right thing in that movement. I think that's one of the the most um, heartbreaking parts of the independent movement. It is. And we hear those stories all the time, every week, people that have been run off or folks that are burnt, folks that want nothing to do with Jesus because of the Christians and the pastors. And uh, hey, if you're listening and uh, you, you have a story to share, we would love to hear from you. Uh, we would love for you to write us. You can go to the recoveringfundamentalist.org. Share your story with us. Uh, let us hear how we can be of a help. Maybe we can get you in touch with Paul, and uh, you know, maybe you resonate with his story. Paul, do you think uh, we could get your dad to come on and both of you come on with us? <laughs> oh, wow. Um, <laughs> he laughs. That would be awesome. I mean, he doesn't <laughs> listen, so he doesn't know we're out here. So. Uh- I would say this: if anybody could get him on, it would be me. He had you on the spot. With I that did. One. I loved it. <laughs> Actually, Mike Peters, who was on your podcast, he reached out to me years back, and we had a lot of conversations before he ever left the church. Wow, that he was at, and so <clears throat> that was pretty cool to see him having reached out. That's awesome. Story. Mike is a sharp guy. Yeah, yeah, really nice guy. JC, speaking of Paul's story and him having an influence and an impact on other people's lives. And then, you know, people who may potentially uh, get in touch with him as a result of him sharing his story today. Uh, Paul, your dad is known all over the country, Uh, whether people love him or hate him. He's, he's very well known in in the independent fundamental world. There aren't many people who haven't heard of Phil kid, but I just want to say to you, you've had a greater influence on my life than your dad. Uh, Your ministry has had a greater impact on my life uh, than his ministry. I'm not throwing a stone at your dad. I'm just saying, seeing uh, your courage, uh, following your journey of church planting, uh, going online, listening uh, to you preach some messages along the way, and then uh, having known through other friends, co-friends, mutual friends that you and I have, Uh, knowing how you've handled some situations and exercised wisdom at times and then restraint at other times. I just want to say you're my favorite kid, and uh, I greatly appreciate all that God's used you to do and all that God is using you to do. So you've had a great impact on my life. Thank you. I I appreciate that. And I feel like Um, I need to say to some of our listeners that we've been accused in the past of being too nice Mm-hmm. and not going after people, and not going for blood. And we said in the beginning, we're not going to bash people. We have to get real. We have to get bold sometimes. But our purpose in having Paul on here was not to bash his dad. Right. And I just want to speak as a dad who loves my kids and my family more than anything else. Uh, we didn't want to use you against your dad. 
And I feel like you've honored your dad today. And if any of our listeners, which we will get emails about this, but I just wanted to kind of cut it off at the head right here that that's not what we're about. There are plenty of podcasts mm-hmm. out there that if you want to go hear Phil Kid get bashed, that's not what we want to do. My heart has been stirred today, yeah. and I'm going to begin praying for Phil Kid because yeah. honestly, I've had some unforgiveness in my heart for how he's influenced my family, and I didn't even get into that tonight. But I just want to thank you for how you've honored your dad, and I believe that uh, we're doing the right thing in how we're approaching this whole interview and our whole ministry at RFP. Absolutely. I agree with that. And as a dad, you know, I just listening to the way that you don't agree with him on everything, but how you honored him, man, I'm sitting here going, okay, how can I raise my boys and my daughter to Mm. do that? Where we're not always forcing what I want on them, but them walking away and still saying, I love dad. And even though we don't agree, he still chooses me. And so, I mean, that's an example for all of us to continue to follow. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Paul. You spoke with grace, and uh, just knowing where you are now, I know the differences there are between you and your dad. If anybody has any question about that, all they have to do is uh, hear your dad's sermons and then listen to your sermons, <laughs> and uh, yet you're his son. Yeah. Um, I used to tell everybody that, you know, with my dad, we were father and son. It wasn't about us agreeing on everything in ministry or pastoring the same or preaching the same. Nathan, I know you could say the same. JC, I know you could say the same. Um, you know, our dads are our dads. And uh, you grew up, Phil Kidd wasn't your preacher. He was your dad. I right. think you've you've honored him today. Well, I appreciate that. And I want to say honor for you guys in closing. Um, I've been teaching through a little bit about spiritual gifts as our church. Um, our church probably believes in that a little bit more than, than some that may listen. Um, but one of the gifts is gifts of healing. And, and in a in a culture of church, when people talk healing, they always think physical, right? Somebody physically touched somebody and they grew a new tooth or <laughs> they're like a or whatever, right? But in context, healings, gifts of healings are, are plural and they're healings of body, soul, and spirit. And there is, it, it's some, for something to be healed, there has to be hurt first, right? And it is a spiritual gift to be able to speak to someone who has been spiritually hurt. Hmm. I just want you guys to know that in this moment, it is a spiritual gift that God is using you in to help heal hurting people who hurt spiritually. Mm -hmm. There's been abuse. There's been um, people raising kingdoms who step on the the toes and and basically the throats of others to, to reach their pinnacle and hurt a lot of people in the process. And it is actually a spiritual gift to be able to reach those that are hurting. And I believe that whether, you know, I don't know how you agree on all the gifts or not, but you have the gift, all three of y'all do. And that's why you had a burden for this because spiritually there's a gift inside of you to reach hurting people who have hurt. It may not be a physical healing. It may not even be as much mental or body, uh, soul, but you are helping their spirit heal. And I just want to say thank you to you guys for that. Thank you, Paul. Wow. wow. Well, Phil's boy, we we received that. Thank you, Brother Gross. <laughs> hey, man. Thank you for being on here with us tonight. It's been a great opportunity to talk to you and just hear your heart. And uh, we want to thank you for tuning in to the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast. We want to thank our sponsors, Free Life Soap. You can check them out at therecoveringfundamentalist.org. Coming to you live tonight from the J Radio Studios. Hey, be sure to join us next Wednesday with Miss Lois McNair. Going to be on here with us. Looking forward to that. And uh, Paul, will you close us out tonight? Maybe just give a word to those that are listening and then pray for us as we close this. Absolutely. I, I want to say to those that are listening, there's there's going to be somebody who listens who is caught up in 
um, abuse, spiritual abuse right now. You're scared to be what you believe God would have you to be because of fear of disappointing someone or fear of walking away, uh, fear of, um, can I make it? Um, I, I want to give you encouragement and let you know I'm here for you. Reach out, contact me anyway. Uh, I'm on pretty much every social media site. You have an easy way to get a hold of me. Reach out to these guys. They can help you and walk you through. It doesn't mean, by the way, I want you to understand something. Walking away from something doesn't mean everything about it is bad. That's right. Not every mm -hmm. person that's independent Baptist is bad. There's Amen. a lot of great men in there. I can disagree with them on some things, but there's prayer warriors. There are yeah. champions of faith. There's a lot of great guys that I love. So walking away from something doesn't mean you're totally rejecting everything. It's just walking into a new season and something better for your life. And and I, if you if that, if you struggle with that, reach out to me. Reach out to these guys. We'll be glad to help you through it. Can I pray over everybody? Yes. Just going to yes, pray sir, and dismiss. Father, I love you because you first loved me. I am so thankful for the ministry that these three gentlemen have felt called into to reach out and touch hurting people. Lord, we can sit and we can talk stories. We can tell where we've come from in our background. I don't want it to be the focus. I want the focus to be on you. Lord, as churches, as ministers, as people, as leaders, you have to be first. Mm. And when we get anything in between, uh, our, our, in between you and ourselves, we've made an idol of something. Mm. And Lord, I don't want that idol to be a preacher. I don't want it to be a church. I don't want it to be a denomination. I want people to see Jesus first. And Lord, the people that are hurting and struggling right now, those that have been abused spiritually, those that are in situations they don't know how to walk away, I pray for faith. I pray for boldness and I pray for courage, the courage to stand up and say, Jesus comes first before a person, before a denomination, before a name, Jesus must come first. And if he, if we decrease, he will increase. And we know that Lord, I just want to pray favor on their life. I pray blessings to them. I pray that courage and boldness to maybe take that step, just reach out, just, just say, you know what? I, I want to know more about um, being away from something that's so restrictive, being away from something where Jesus isn't first, my pastor has to be first, whatever the case may be. Lord, that person listening right now, they know who they are. I want you to deal with their heart. Let them have that boldness to step forward and let us as pastors, as ministers, Lord, lead them with grace, with humility, and with love to show them the better way. We'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, don't shake your neighbor's hand. Give them an air hug and you are dismissed. We'll see you back here next week on the Recovering Fundamentalist Podcast. Y'all have a great week. See you guys. Be sweet. Peace. Thanks for listening to the Recovering Fundamentalist Podcast. Be sure to stop by our social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Give us a follow. Also, go to our website, recoveringfundamentalist.org. That's recoveringfundamentalist.org. There you can find Recovering Fundamentalist swag. You can get your t-shirts and hats. You can join our ex-fundy community. See where we're going to be having some meetups. It's the recoveringfundamentalist.org. Be sure to join us next time for the Recovering Fundamentalist Podcast.